Hello and welcome to the Sports Zone. My name is James Sweetham and we've got an absolutely jam-packed show for you today. I am delighted to be joined, as ever, by Paul Whiteside. How are you doing today, mate? Hey, mate. Uh, I'm good. I'm really good, thank you. And uh, looking forward to breaking down some some boxing with you, mate, as, as we do. We like to have a good chinwag about the boxing, don't we? And yeah, we've got an action-packed show as well. There's a lot going on. Yeah, we definitely do. And it's starting on a rather sad note. We were discussing this off air, the aftermath of Jack Catchell versus Josh Taylor. But the Chulie man put on an absolute clinic against a pound-for-pound grey in his backyard. His left hand looked superb. His jab looked excellent. He even put Taylor down in the eighth round. And then we come to these all-important judges' scorecards and the way off, as really usual, we're coming accustomed to this. What did you make of the fight as a whole? And what did you make of Catchell's performance? Oh, I thought the fight, James, was uh, was fantastic. I, I thought, I didn't know what to expect with Jack Cattrall because he's never fought at that sort of level that, that Josh Taylor's fought before. Oh, he's, he's done. He's, he's had some really good wins under his under his belt. And I know he's a very, very confident man as well. And, uh, you know, as the fight started, he, he, seemed to, he seemed really calm and, and calculated in the first couple of rounds. And, you know, he caught Taylor a few times. And I thought, wow, he's he looks really, really comfortable in there. And as the rounds went on, he he, he was picking up the rounds. He was he was the eye catching shots. He was the busier fighter. And I, I thought he picked up the first maybe half a dozen rounds. Um, so yeah, he was he's really in control. I thought he boxed absolutely superb. Um, great performance from him, Josh Taylor. I don't think he he's boxed that poorly for a long time. But having said that, I, I think it was down to the way Catrell fought. He didn't let him box. He didn't let him get on the front foot. You know what Taylor's like. He likes to to, to get on that that front foot, doesn't he? And uh, and sort of smother his opponents really. And, and and he's got an awful lot of speed. But but Catrell's beating him to the jab. He's beating him to the punch all the time. And doing the eye catching work. So yeah, tremendous performance from from uh, from Jack Catrell who came of age. But it's just a a shame with the result, really, which was 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 a, was a big shock at the end. I mean, we've seen some bad ones over the year, Paul. But I mean, you were saying off air that you had it by I think about five rounds to capture. It really was that one sided. And at the end of the fight, the entire commentary team had it the same way. The ringside pundits have it the same way. I mean, Tash Jonas was evidently distraught at what had gone on. One positive that's come out of this, we have Ben Shalom in the aftermath, the promoter, saying that he was embarrassed to be associated with this. He said that he was going to look into getting an inquest done, whether that happens or not, we'll have to wait and see. The British Boxing Board of Control said they'll launch an investigation, but they've done that previously and, and nothing ever gets done. What do we do here? I mean, what do you make of this whole thing as a whole? Because it, it's pretty bad, really, at this stage. It's difficult, it's difficult, James. I mean, in a way, I feel a bit for Taylor. I feel for, sorry for both of them because at the end of the day, Josh Taylor's not done anything wrong, has he? He's gone into the fight and, and done his stuff. It, it's down to how the, the fight scores. And I try not to, to listen to, to, the, to the, um, the commentary, really, and, and the, the scorecards that they show because it can sort of get into your head a bit and you sort of go along with what they're, they're doing. So you, I sort of watch it myself and just think of what I like. And yeah, there the probably is rounds where you know, they could go either way uh, and they're close and it's what the, the judge is like. But I think, I'm not, I can't make an excuse for that one really. I mean, yeah, it, it could have been closer than five rounds. I said five rounds, but yeah, I would accept it if one judge maybe had it three rounds or something like that because he liked, liked something else or he saw something else or, or whatever. But all the eye-catching shots came from Catrell. He got the knockdown as well. So, so I, I don't, I can't see how, Josh Taylor won that that fight. To be honest with you, I, I mean, I don't know. I think Josh Taylor said at the end of the fight that um, 
he was he was bossing it in the later stages. But even in the, the last sort of three or four rounds, he wasn't bossing it. The last three or four rounds were, were probably quite close, and you could have said, yeah, those rounds go either way. But even if he does win those four rounds, uh, and and that's saying a lot. Say say he wins those four rounds. He's not won the first six rounds, six, seven, six or seven rounds, and there's a knockdown as well. So mathematically, you start to look at it then. And I know that there's a big debate about the punches landed, which can be a bit of a useless stat, really, because somebody could throw 50 punches in the first round and win it and then not throw as many in the second round. So that doesn't, that's by the by. But looking at Taylor's sort of face, you know, and the eye-catching shots all came from Catrell. The combinations all came from Catrell. So it was, you can tell. You can tell when a, when a fight is won. You could tell at the end of the fight when the way Jamie Moore come in the ring and he's got uh, Taylor on his shoulders. They they knew they'd won that fight. There was no, and I couldn't believe Taylor celebrating. Really, I thought he would have thought he'd not won it, but you, know, you can't sort of take that away from him. He's going to do his professional, and he probably thinks he's done enough. But I think hand on heart, he he must know. There's a, there's a bit of a doubt there in that. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. What did you make of his aftermath, the, the way he acted? Because he didn't really give Jack Cattrall any level of respect. He said it was an easy fight. He said Jack Cattrall knew he didn't win this one. In the aftermath, he said it wasn't a hard fight at all. He bossed it, not even one of his hardest fights. It, it seems a little bit off. And from Ben Davidson's perspective, obviously, he's been here before with a fighter when he took Tyson Fury from the depths of depression took him over to Los Angeles to fight Deontay Wilder, put in a great performance and didn't get the verdict. So he knows what that's like. So should he not be honest and have some integrity in this situation? Yeah, you'd have thought. So, I mean, I couldn't really believe what I was hearing from Josh Taylor after the fight. I mean, yeah, I couldn't really believe what I was hearing after the fight from, from Josh Taylor. I mean, it, it must have been a tough fight for him. You can tell by the, the, the marking on his face and, and just watching the rounds. He must have known he was in trouble in there. I mean... I think there was a couple of rounds where I heard his corner saying, you're behind here, you need to do something. So they must have known in that fight that they were, they were struggling. Um, so it just seems bizarre the way they've come out. Perhaps they're a bit embarrassed about the result. I don't know. Um, just to be in Taylor's defence and give him the benefit of the doubt, I think when you're in there as a, as a fighter, I mean, I'm speaking here as someone who's done a bit of white collar, so I'm not sort of comparing my level nowhere near to them. But when I've done bits... You don't really remember what's going on in the ring, and, and it is difficult. So, yeah, I can understand Taylor there. He's in there. He's not seeing it from the outside. He's just taking shots and, and, and laying shots off. So, you don't always remember what, what what's happened, do you? So, um, so there is a benefit of the doubt there for him. But I'm sure when he watches the fight back, if he hasn't already now, I'm presuming he has, he'll look at that and think, blimey, yeah, he, he did tag me quite a lot through that fight and it chucked a lot of punches. And and work really hard. Like I said, all the eye-catching stuff came from Cattrall. Um, so yeah, it was a very bizarre one, James. Very bizarre one. And I think the way all the um, the pundits and I think I've I've seen loads of things from from ex boxers and things like that on on social media. Everybody was sort of in Cattrall's corner. Really. I think Carl Froch said something was a bit strange um, in in Taylor's defence, saying um, I think he said something about Cattrall and. Um, what was the words he used now? Sort of gone into his shell sort of thing for the last four rounds and you can't afford to do that in a world title fight. But even so, he's won all the rounds before, so you've, you've got to judge it on that. But it does seem to me that you go into a world title fight like that, you've got to knock somebody out when you're away from home to get the result. I mean, I completely agree with that verdict. And where does Jack Cattrall go from now? Because obviously he went to Josh Taylor's backyard, beat him in near enough every single round, didn't get the verdict. 
if Josh Taylor does what he says he is going to do and moves up in weight and refuses to give Catchell his rematch, the best Catchell's going to get is a shot at a vacant world title. Last night was his shot at all the marbles. That was potentially the only time in his career he's ever going to get that. It's impossible with all the mandatories to get these belts together. Josh Taylor got fairly lucky off the W uh, off the World Boxing Super Series, so that's why he got the opportunity. So for someone like Catchell to get another shot, it, it's probably not going to happen. He's worked all his life for this moment. I mean, does he even carry on boxing? I mean, Jamie Moore in the post-fight interview said he doesn't know what the point is in watching this anymore. He says he's got a 16-year-old lad who, a 16-year-old lad who was ringside. He wants to become a professional boxer, and he thinks, what is the point? Because he can graft all his life for the next 20 years, give up partying, give up going out with his friends, give up doing whatever he wants to do in his social life, and it'll ultimately be meaningless in the end. Yeah, it, it, it's sad, really. I really feel for Jack Cattrall because he's worked really hard to, to get there as well, coming coming up through the ranks and, and boxing through the ranks and been in some tough fights. And, you know, he's gone into that now. And, it, and like you said, I don't think he's ever going to get that opportunity again to, to be a unified sort of world champion. So um, I, I still think he's proved last night that he can box at world level. There's no doubt about that. I think he's, he's sort of people will sit up now and, and take note and think, "Blimey, yeah, I wouldn't like to fight him." So I think he, I think the fights are there for him. He definitely get them. He definitely be a sell out big shows and what have you. But uh, it's whether he gets that chance again. And, and you've got to look at it from his perspective as well. How much is that going to affect his him psychologically? That last night. I mean, he's worked so hard and had something taken away from him. You're going to have to be very, very mentally strong now to, to sort of say to, to your trainers and that, look, I want this more than ever now. I want to get back in there and and, and get back and, and win a world title just to erase that bad memory. I think if that was me, I'd want to do that. I'd want to put the rights wrong. And, you know, you've proved you can do it. So you've got to go back. And I think he'd regret it for the rest of his life if he sort of packed it in now and didn't go back for it. So I, I don't think that will happen. I think he'll carry on. Um and get another shot, but uh, but no, it's going to be tough. It's going to be a tough few days for him, tough few weeks, you know, to, to get his head around that. And um, obviously, then he's going to have to get back into the gym. But he probably needs a bit of time out now, just to reflect on it, and uh, you know, and, and try and move on. Yeah, I completely agree. It's going to be tough to see how he copes with this mentally. But as a fan of his, and I suppose we all are in the local area, we hope that he gets back to his best and somehow finds the motivation to go again. But in slightly more positive news, Tyson Fury and Dillian White is finally over the line. April 23rd, Wembley Stadium. Dillian White signs at the last minute. And was it ever in doubt for you, Paul, that he was going to sign that contract? No, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think so. I know those money talks and things like that. But again... If that was me getting a shot at Tyson Fury, I'd fight for the tenor. Because, you know, mm. you, you get to, 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 to win that fight or, or or pull it off. I mean, it's about your legacy at the end of the day. Nobody at the end of their career, you know, remembers people for how much money they earn. They remember people for the, for the titles that they win, don't they? And things like that, the big fights that they're in. So money's, money's great, but, you know, you want to build a legacy and, and, and be remembered for, for what you did in the ring, don't you? So uh, he's got a great opportunity there. Opportunities like this don't come off along very often do this so he's got a great shot now and you look at that Wembley Stadium and, and, and what sort of a night there's going to be there you know full house I don't know how many it holds when they've got the, the boxing on but it's 80, 90, 100,000 or whatever so it's going to be an absolutely fantastic night you know especially after all the, the stuff we've had with pandemics and things like that you know to get everybody back in a big stadium like that and uh, 
you know, I'm sure it'll be a cracking undercard as well. I mean, this is going to be a, going to be a great fight. That again, he's going to capture the public's imagination. You'll look at the, the the British fight we had between Kell Brook and Amir Khan. That was fantastic. This is going to be on a much much bigger stage, isn't it? You know, away from in Manchester Arena is a good stage, but Wembley Stadium is absolutely out of this world. So it's uh, it's definitely one to look forward to. And it's not long off now, is it? Really, April. It's only around the corner. Yeah, we're all looking forward to it. But Frank Warren bid forty million the purse bid for that fight is he going to be able to make that back especially if Dillian White does what he's doing at the moment and gives the promotion radio silence yeah that's a good question that it's a good question it's going to be tough to make it back it's an awful lot of money but um, yeah I don't really get the the, the radio silence I think you've got to uh, you've got to get out there and, and, and promote this one haven't you and uh, you know it's a massive opportunity as I said for, for Dillian White and you know I bet he's be pretty confident as well, but his team's pretty confident. I mean, Tyson Fury is is a fantastic fighter, isn't he? And um, you know they, they're going to have to work really, really hard for this. It's going to be, be tough for them. They, they, they're going to be um, the underdog for this, but you know it's it, it's it's a fight. You know, it's two fighters who, who step into that ring, and you know we, we all know in heavyweights it, it can be a lottery sometimes who connects first. So uh, I think he's got a great chance. So let's hope uh, you know they, they do make some money from it. I completely agree. I mean, we're giving this. I mean, the edge probably right now towards Fury. Why, obviously, with a chance. He, I mean, he's excellent with those body shots. He's excellent with those left hooks upstairs. The shape Tyson Fury's in at the moment, looking at him in Abu Dhabi, uh, in Dubai, rather, he's not particularly doing well. But we don't know anything about what condition Dillian White's in. How do you think Count will be going for White out there in Portugal? Do you think he's trained at his best or, or not? I mean, it's difficult to tell when there is nothing coming out from him. I'd like to think so. I'd like to think you're keeping the on the low down and, and working really, really hard. I mean, going back again, I know I just mentioned Kell Brook and Amir Khan. I thought the shape they came in um, last weekend for two guys of 35, they were absolutely immaculate. And hats off to them. The training, the preparation and the sacrifices they've made, I thought was fantastic. I, I couldn't believe it really when I saw them on the scales and saw them come out. I'd like to think that Dylan White is going to come in the same sort of condition because... As I've said before, it's it's a massive opportunity for him. And you've only got to go back to some of his recent fights. I mean, going back a few years to to, to fight with Anthony Joshua, I thought he rocked Joshua and, you know, was, was sensational for parts of that fight. And if he can bring that sort of form back that, that he's uh, produced before, you know, he, he's got an opportunity here because he can bang, he really can. And he's fearless as well sometimes. So Tyson Fury's going to have to be on his A game. I think the, the fear for Tyson Fury is the only person who can beat Tyson Fury is really himself. I think he needs to um, to be switched on, and will he underestimate, you know, you know, uh, Dylan White? I'm not too sure, but um, but Dylan White can only focus on himself. He can't worry about what Tyson Fury is doing. He's got to get in his training camp and work his absolute socks off for this. And if he can come in at, at anything like um, full fitness, he's got a great chance. Now another fight that's just been announced: Canelo Alvarez versus Dimitri Bivol, and it's a good fight for the light heavyweight championship of the world. Some people criticised the Mexican's last fight in the weight division against Sergey Kovalev because the Russian was slightly over the hill. Bivol's not; he's in the prime of his career, so it's a good fight. But it's receiving a little bit of critique from the hardcore boxing fans because it's on pay-per-view. When DAZN came into the game, they were adamant that pay-per-view was dead. Eddie Hearn was slinging the model of, it's dead, it's no more, I'm taking over, subscription only. Now they're doing their own pay-per-view and it's coming across a little bit hypocritical. Yeah, it does seem it. I'm not somebody who agrees with um, pay-per-view boxing. I never have been, really. I mean, I think it's 
people should be allowed to see sport. I mean, I get that you know sport is not on terrestrial television all the time. It's on it's on satellite and Sky and whatever. You know, I get that, but I think to charge people for box office for, for things and it's a lot of money as well sometimes you look at the, the Brook and Khan fight it wasn't a, a title fight or anything yet you're charging 20 odd pound for it and it's, it's a lot of money for people so I, I don't like that so yeah I think that was a bit hypocritical especially from what they'd said before so uh, you know I, I think in this day and age now it you know, with everything that's gone on and with pandemics and people losing jobs and, and money situation and the inflation and prices going up here, there and everywhere, I think it's it's tough on people. People should be allowed to watch sports. So, um, you know, it's it's a pastime that people love. So don't price people out. You know, there's enough money in, in boxing, you know, for uh, for promoters to make money. I think sometimes they, they you know, say rip people off, but it does seem a bit uncomfortable for me. Yeah, not to get too political now, but moving on to another story with everything going on, with Russia and the Ukraine, the WBA, the WBO, the IBF and the WBC have come together to announce that they won't be sanctioning any fights in Russia. And furthermore, Alexander Usyk, the Klitschko brothers and Vasily Lomachenko have all joined up to fight against the Russians if need be. What does that say about them as men? Because they don't need to do this. They've got the money to live in any country and do all that sort of thing, but they're willing to do this for their country. Well, yeah, I think it says a lot about the the, the Ukrainian people and um, you know those fighters in particular. I mean, they're very very proud people, aren't they? And um, they, they sound like they're going to do anything to defend their country. I mean, obviously we don't want to get into the politics of it all, but it does seem um, a, a real mess that there. I mean, people need to learn from the past, don't we? We don't want like world wars and things like that. War doesn't really achieve anything, does it? So, but but for those guys to be to, to be doing that, it's hats off to them I've already had a lot of time for the, for the Klitschko's you know especially um, Vladimir Klitschko and his, his fights with Anthony Joshua and and, um, and Tyson Fury he's always come across as a, as a really good guy to me a real gentleman a real nice fella so uh, so yeah I just hope it doesn't come to that I hope this conflict gets resolved and uh, you know uh, good luck to them and uh, let's hope they let's hope they stay safe and it gets resolved because we don't want this to happen do we most certainly, and it feels like we're going down a hill of a negative stories here, but Scott Fitzgerald has confessed to uh, an act of domestic violence after a three-day drinking and drug session. He admitted to kicking a woman and pushing her to the ground. I mean, Scott Fitzgerald at one point, a very promising career, but this is quite serious stuff. Yeah, he's a fellow from our side, well, from your neck of the woods, really, isn't he? A, a guy we, we follow quite closely, haven't we? And uh, both been big fans of him as well in, in what he's done in boxing and how he'd sort of turned his life around. And this just seems to be, I, I thought he had a, a, a real lot of potential, really did, and um, had some good wins as well. It looked like he was coming up on the, on the rails, really, for, uh, for world title shots. But no, it's, it's, it's a waste of a talent, really, James, and it's, it's a real shame. Last one for you, Paul, before we wrap up the boxing this week. Amir Khan and Kelbrook captivated the world last week with their super fight. Obviously, now they're going down completely different paths. Kelbrook is after Conor Ben. He's after Chris Eubank Jr. He's refusing to retire. He announced during the Taylor and Catchell fight that he is going to fight on. But if Khan chooses to, he could be able to drag Buck Brack into the ring with himself because he's contemplating taking the rematch clause in his contract. For me... Khan's done everything there is to do in the sport. He doesn't need this. But where do you think his head's at right now? And would you like to see him take this? Or would you like to see him call it a day like I am? Uh, I think he should perhaps call it a day. I wouldn't like him to see him fight Kelbrook again. Because I think it would be the same result. Um, I think Kelbrook's got the measure of him. 
he's the bigger man, really, and um, that showed in that fight. He was a lot tougher. He punched a lot harder, and yeah, he had the measure of him. And I think he'd have the measure of him if they fought ten times. I think you get the results the same ten times. I, you know, I feel a bit for Amin He's been a, been a great fighter, but I think he's just come to that stage of his career now where he's not quite good enough to beat Kell Brook. So I think you get the same result. I think for Kell. I think, yeah, I'd love to see him fight on. I think there's some great fights there for him. Um, you just mentioned uh, um, Eubank. I think that'd be a, a good fight. And I wasn't so sure a couple of years ago whether Kelbrook was finished. You know, there's a few fights where he looked really sluggish and didn't look right. But for this fight, you know, I saw a bit of his training camp in Fiat Aventura, especially uh, in Gold drinking his sweat from that glass. Feeling not me sick was terrible. But no, they look like they've got a special bond, those guys in Sheffield. And uh, I was very, very pleased for Kel. Worked really hard, got himself into tremendous shape. And he looked, he didn't look 35. He looked 25 when he came into that ring, you know, the shape he was in. So, so yeah, if he can carry on and he, his body's going to allow him to carry on, then, then good luck to him. But I wouldn't really want to see the, um, the Cam Brook fight again. Not that I didn't enjoy it. I thought it was a great fight. But... I just think if it happened again, it'd be the same result. I completely agree, but that's all the time we've got for On The Boxing this week. And now we're going to move on. And now we're going to talk uh, all things ice hockey, Rob. Manchester Storm, two games for the Storm this week. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, Manchester Storm, uh, two games this week, Paul. Both defeats. Uh, they had to travel to Cardiff um, and lost 7-1. Big uh, defeat there, uh, Paul. But you know, there's the things to take from defeat uh, against Cardiff. They had a good team, uh, and obviously to go to Cardiff and get a result would have been a tough ask for Ryan Finney's men. So, unfortunately, going down seven-one there wasn't wasn't the best uh, sort of start to the weekend, and it got a bit worse. They went to Belfast uh, and lost six-three. Uh, it's also another disappointment. Two big defeats in in two uh, games. Confidence will be ebbing from that team, but you're hoping that you know the the players can can find something. Ryan Finney can sort of motivate them to to keep pushing for the the playoffs, and it's exciting times uh, for the Storm. Just hoping they can get out of this uh, spiral that they're in, because obviously it was kind of mentioned that the uh, the playoff this uh, this season. It's going to be held at Nottingham on the 30th of April and the 1st of April, uh, basically where they're going to play the two semi-finals, the third and fourth uh, place uh, game and the final all in one weekend. Uh, you're hoping that Manchester Storm can be there and thereabouts uh, when that comes around in April, uh, but they'll have to start winning uh, and quick, Paul, to, to get a run on for that. Yeah, sometimes when you want to start and get off that sort of uh, bad run, you need a new signing and they've got a new signing, haven't they? Can you tell us about that? Yeah. Noah uh, Demlias uh, has come in for the Manchester Storm. We, we have said that the, they've got some good, uh, you know, goal scorers in that squad, and they do need to tighten up at the back. And we're hoping that uh, Noah might be the guy to do that. Uh, he's a defenseman. He's come from uh, Kansas Mavericks. He's, he's a solid performer for Kansas, uh, and um, I'm sure Ryan Finney will be looking for the same uh, for the Storm. Because, like I've said before, Paul, they've got goal scorers. You just need to tighten up. If they can stop conceding. Uh, and keep scoring goals, then the playoffs can't be too far away. And how are the fixtures looking uh, for the weekend coming up? Yeah, ninth in the table at the moment, Paul. Uh, they've got two games against Nottingham this week, uh, home and away. Um, the Storm Shelter is always a great place. The Storm fans get behind the team, and and you know after the last couple of weeks, they they need uh, to to lift the players, and if the players can respond to that and play some good ice hockey, stick together uh, and come away with at least one win out of that uh, weekend, uh, they'll be uh, they'll be happy and ready to go forward. 
Looking forward to it, Rob. Let's hope they can uh, turn the corner and uh, fight for that playoff. It sounds exciting. That was the semi-finals and the third and fourth over one weekend. That sounds a real festival of ice hockey. Yeah, it's, it does sound good, uh, Paul. Uh, £110 a ticket, though, which is a bit steep. Um, but I suppose all the teams get together, a bit of a carnival atmosphere, a bit like the uh, the Magic Weekend Rugby League. It's a, certainly a you know an, an occasion. I'm sure the people who follow ice hockey will want to get together and, and celebrate the sport and uh, hopefully watch history being made. Yeah, certainly. Looking forward to it. Let's uh, wish the Storm all the best. Yeah. So uh, let's talk football now, Paul. And we'll start with uh, Manchester United. Uh, two games this week. One in the uh, Europe. Uh, they drew 1-1 with uh, Atletico Madrid. Um, not a bad result away from home. No, not a bad result away from home. And, uh, you know, two-legged tie, I believe that, isn't it? So uh, a good result, really, away from home. I mean, it's one of those, isn't it, when it's two-legged? Like, do you want to play away first or do you want to play it? At home first. I'm not too sure. I think sometimes teams like to to play at home last, don't they? So, uh, so yeah, good a good result away from home, and I'm sure they'll uh, be bringing uh, them back to Old Trafford and in front of a big crowd there. You, you would think that Manchester United can uh, can get the result and uh, progress through to the next round. There is that, Paul. But obviously, the European Cup is a big it's a big trophy in tip for Manchester United, and you know, with the sort of situation in the league, when will Ralph decide to switch? Will he decide to to go for Europe rather than uh, aiming for that top four spot? Well, I suppose it's one of those, isn't it? You, do, you want to make sure you qualify for Europe next season, don't you? Um, if you don't get in that top four, I think the only way you then qualify is if you were to, to win the, the, the European Cup, don't you? So, uh, it's, a, it's a difficult situation. You want to win every game you can, really. So, uh, But yeah, there's some exciting games coming up. I think, you know, with, with the sides we've got in Europe as well, I think it'd be exciting if uh, we can get like a Battle of Britain again like we did last season, perhaps in the later rounds, that'd be, be special. But yeah, Manchester United will be, I'd say they start favourites now in that that, uh, that second leg, you know, with a 1-1 draw away from home in, in uh, Madrid. So, uh, so yeah, I'm looking forward to that. It should be a good night at Old Trafford. Yeah, the United goalscorer, Anthony Alanga, what an impact he's made coming into the team. A lot of people asking for, you know, bigger players with, with bigger profiles to step up and, and start scoring goals and creating things. This kid comes in and, and makes the magic happen and he's only young. He's come through the uh, the system uh, and it's a, obviously a glorious moment for him uh, that he's coming and leading the United's line. Yeah, certainly. I mean, sometimes you, you, it's better off having um, somebody coming through your system rather than somebody who's, who's not been in your system and big names come with big added pressure, don't they? So, uh, so yeah, I think his enthusiasm and uh, you know his will to win and that obviously the youngness as well and the, the young rawness of him has, has, has been a benefit for Manchester United really and they're reaping the reward from it. So, uh, so yeah, they needed that. I think they needed someone like a catalyst to to start that and uh, you know you know get that those goals for them. So yeah, he's done excellent well so far. Yeah, United's youngest Champions League goal scorer, 19 uh, and 302 days, uh, which shows that the talent has got. Obviously, look back through United's uh, history. Norman Whiteside, you know, it was a great player, great young player for Manchester United. George Best, these players just keep coming through, don't they? Yeah, certainly. Yeah, you named two uh, two Northern Irishmen there as well. So. <laughs> 
So yeah, yeah, they, they do. There's been a conveyor belt at Manchester United over the years, and they've have extra special players that have come through the system and uh, come through their ranks. So yeah, it's uh, it's good to see. So I mean, it's not like we say in rugby league, don't we? We sometimes the, the guys that you you bring through your system, I think it's special that you know they, they've they've learned the the United way, as they say, haven't they? And um, you know we have it solved. Don't I think you you take to players that come through your system a bit more. I think you take them to heart a bit more because uh, you know they they really are in the blood of the club, aren't they? So, so, uh, so yeah, Manchester United are looking for more players like that. Yeah, obviously, looking looking at the further stats, the Alanga's goal was Man United's 500th goal in the European Cup slash uh, the Champions League. There's only three teams that have scored more, Paul, uh, in the Champions League. Do you fancy a guess on the three? Uh, there's three more. I'd yeah. say Real Madrid. Yep, with 1,001. Barcelona. Yeah, with 624. Uh, Ajax. No, give you one last go. Juventus. Bayern Munich. Oh. 760. Right, wow. Giants of European football there, Paul. And obviously Manchester United have been in the Champions League and, and the European Cup quite a lot. Um, but it's great, obviously, you know, that United are, are, are obviously still in there competing and scoring goals. Yeah, I'm disappointed with myself not getting Bayern Munich there. I think I'm in a bit living in the past a bit there saying Ajax, but uh, but no, quite pleased myself that I got a two. But yeah, it just shows you how well Manchester United have done in that, um, you know, in the European Cup over the years, and uh, and yeah, it's been a, it's been a good trophy for them, hasn't it as well? So uh, I'm surprised Liverpool weren't in there with, with goals as well. They've scored plenty of goals in the European Cup, haven't they? Surprised with that, but uh, but yeah, it's nice to be up there with 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 a big company of those other three. Yep. And also, Bruno Fernandes became the first player in Champions League history to assist in six consecutive appearances, uh, breaking a record held by David Beckham since 1998. Obviously, people talk about Fernandes and, you know, his, his goal scoring. They talk about his penalties as well. But, you know, he's also very creative. Certainly, yeah. The, the stats say it there. You've done some reading up this week, haven't you? So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Those assists are all important, and you know, to, to get your team going, and you know, comparing to David Beckham there as well, another another great player from from the past. So uh, yeah, yeah, six six matches. That's uh, that's an achievement. Yeah, um, and then in the league they faced Watford at home and drew nil nil. Uh, more drop points for 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 Ralph's men. Um, obviously after the, after the joy of, of getting a, a draw against Atletico, back down to earth uh, by getting a draw against Watford. Yeah, I've not seen that match, but it just you know just looking at the scoreline and, and reading the match report, it just sounded like it was a frustrating afternoon at Old Trafford. And you know Watford are, are scrapping for points at the moment as well, aren't they? So uh, that'll be a moral victory for them getting that one. But Manchester United, you would have thought they'd have got three points from that. So I bet that's been a bit of a coupon buster for many people that one. So uh, so yeah, disappointing result, especially for such a good uh, result in Europe in the week to to come on with Watford is a bit of a bit of a disappointing day. It would have been because obviously you, you you need to to beat the likes of Watford if you if you want to get into the Champions League and to drop points, um, you know it is a real real blow. Obviously, Roy Hodgson has come into Watford, sort, sorted the team out, sorted the squad out, um, so they they will be you know very happy with with taking a point at Old Trafford. They certainly will. I think Roy's coming and uh, he's got them organised, hasn't he? That's the the, the first thing. 
um, a well-organised side, now organised the defence out and uh, you know, got them into a bit of a shape. And, and yeah, that, that's an excellent result for them. That's one, one that's going to fill them with a lot of confidence, you know, going into the back end of the season where everyone's scrapping for points. So, uh, you know, Roy Hodgson's a very, very experienced manager. He's been, been all over the show, been managing for an awful long time. So, uh, a big result for them. And I'm sure they'll be looking to, to set that forward. But as I said before, not the result Manchester United won. It was a disappointing one, that. And uh, they'll be looking to get back on the, this weekend coming. Yeah. 22 points, uh, 22 shots they had on goal, Paul. That's that shows me chances are being made, but unfortunately, the goals aren't coming. And with United's attacking talent, we talk about, um, you know, United and not uh, these top, top players with the characters in the squad not delivering. So to have that many chances of not score it must be a real sort of a headache for, for Ralph. Sounds like the Watford goalkeeper played pretty well, though. Yeah. <laughs> 20 shots on target. But yeah, I'd say that's a headache for the manager. You know, you're creating that many chances, you should be taking at least one or two, shouldn't you? So, uh, so yeah, it's a disappointing result, that really. And that's been a problem, hasn't it, this season? A few times I've mentioned I've been frustrated by sides at Old Trafford, where Old Trafford normally is a fortress where not a lot of points are dropped. Alarmingly, quite a lot of points have been dropped this season, haven't you? With a lot of draws and you know, disappointing results, and um, and yeah, they'll definitely be looking to turn the corner. Yeah, um, let's talk about uh, Man City uh, this week. They travelled to Everton and won one nil. Uh, Everton, you know, with new coach Frank Lampard, put up a bit of a fight, but Man City do what Man City do and keep winning. Yeah, well, I think that was a massive result for Manchester City. If you look at the last couple of weeks, Liverpool have come right up behind them. They're only three points behind um, going into that into the weekend, and uh, Manchester City had to get that cushion again. Uh, you know, the, the sides meet, don't they? A bit further down the line, I think mm. it's at the Etihad Stadium that one. But you know, a draw against Everton would have been a real blow. Real blow and a massive confidence boost for Liverpool. So I think it was a late goal, wasn't it? Phil Foden getting that late goal. That goal could be priceless, you know, in the uh, in the running, you know, for for the Premier League title. They might look back on that day thinking that's that's been the moment where they where, where things went right for them. So, you know, um, champion teams do that, don't they? They'll, they'll sneak a one, they'll win, and you know that could be vital come the end of the season. So uh, a big big result for Manchester City. That. Yeah, the VAR was in action again. Uh, City's midfielder Rodri appeared to handle uh, the ball inside his area, uh, but with a VAR check, uh, decided not to give the penalty. And Frank Lampard was livid. Uh, so it kind of, it's kind of weird that obviously when you got the VAR available and everyone can see it's a handball, uh, it doesn't get given. It, it puts doubts in everyone's mind, doesn't it? It certainly does, and it's that's a couple of weeks running now where Manchester City have had quite a bit of controversy. I watched the Tottenham game the week before, and they, they got a bit of a slice of luck in that game, really. In the end, it backfired them and lost the game. You know, they got a penalty, didn't they, from VAR, and you know, Tottenham had a goal disallowed as well, but they, they came out on top, didn't they? So, uh, so Manchester City have, have been fortunate with the VAR going their way, but uh, but yeah, he'll be, he'll be living without Frank Lampard. He really will. He did a lot of hard work in that game as well, didn't he? Kept City at bay for for such a long time, and then to concede late on like that, it must be uh, must be a bit of blow that because Everton are flirting with uh, with relegation at the moment, aren't they? Not in a, in good shape in the table. I know there's a, there's a bit of a gap there, isn't there? But uh, you know, for a side that's, I don't think Everton have ever been relegated, have they? So. Um, or correct me if I'm wrong, no, but I didn't think they had. So um, that, that that's something they want to put, you know, keep keep keeping the Premiership, but they don't want to uh, let that record slip and drop out. No, 
The look at the table, City are now six points clear of Liverpool. Liverpool, they do have a game in hand though, Paul. And Liverpool were in League Cup action uh, today in the final. They beat Chelsea 11 10 on penalties. Um, you know, that's pure drama. I know Chelsea had, I think it was three or four goals, um, sort of disallowed through VAR. Uh, but to go through, uh, you know, the penalty shooter where everyone scores. Apart from the Chelsea goalkeeper Kepper, who was substituted on to the field just before the uh, the the final whistle, just to save the penalty. So, in reality, he came on and lost it for him. Yeah, he didn't do his job if he was brought on to save the penalty. He didn't save one, did he? So, uh, <laughs> I don't think you can blame him for missing his. But, uh, but no, a strange game, like you say, Chelsea, and a few goals disallowed there as well. But you know, congratulations to Liverpool. That's a, a trophy for them. But uh, probably not the greatest game, really, was it? Finishing, uh, finishing nil nil. But, uh, but Liverpool are still in with a fantastic shout in the Premiership. I think. I think there's still a lot of twists and turns. I know Manchester City don't drop a lot of points, but the pressure really is on them now because if they do draw a match and Liverpool win the right back behind them. They've still got a play, as I said before. So I can see that Premier League title race going right down to the wire. I think it'd be amazing if it did, you know, for, for neutrals and, and, and people that you're interested in it. I think for the, the support of Liverpool and Man City as well, I think it'd be great. I mean, they might not agree with me there, but uh, but no, I think it's going to be a fascinating end to the season. Yeah, three goals disallowed for offside for Chelsea through the VAR. So more VAR controversy. Look at the table, like I said. Uh, City six points clear of Liverpool. Liverpool have a game in hand. United are in fourth with 47. West Ham are in fifth uh, with 45. Arsenal are in sixth with 45. Arsenal have three games uh, in hand on Manchester United. So, you know, the Gunners, even that sort of a poor start to the season uh, for many, uh, they've turned it round in the box seat now for me to, to get in that top four. They seem to have done, yeah. I mean, they, like you said, they had a real poor start to the season, but they seem to have found some consistency now. And uh, I know sometimes you'd rather have points in the bag than, than games in hand, but three games in hand's a lot, isn't it? We're not talking just one game, and they were talking three, so you would expect them to, to get a couple of results in those, those three games. So, uh, so yeah, they're, they're in the box seat, really, now, and uh, they, they've got to get those wins. But again, the race for the top four, as I said, with the, with the top sort of two really going for the title. I think the race for the top four is going to be fascinating as well. You look at West Ham, they had an undercut result at weekend. They messed my accumulator up beating Wolves 1-0. Yeah. But, uh, but no, that was a good result for West Ham. And, you know, they'll have ambitions to get in that Champions League as well because they've been very, very consistent this season. So I think they're going to take a bit of stopping. They're just outside it, aren't they? But there's a, there's a whole cluster of clubs there that are going for that top four. And yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be really exciting to see who gets it. Yeah, obviously looking a bit further down the table, Tottenham are in seventh, seventh. Antonio Conte uh, had a bit of a wobble midweek talking about how uh, he feels it could be him that's the problem at Tottenham. Um, he came back this uh, this week with a 4-0 win away at Leeds, so he'll probably be happy. But it is a question, Tottenham always, always flatter to deceive. Uh, Harry Kane up top, scoring goals, but never quite get uh, into that top three, top four spot. No, they seem a funny side. I mean, I, I, like I said before, I watched them at City and I thought they played fantastic in that game. It was a great game to watch. They had a great win there. They lost to Burnley in the week and then they go away from home and, and, and thump Leeds 4-0. So you never know what you're going to get with Tottenham. I think if they're a bit more consistent, they'd be right there with Liverpool and Manchester City chasing for the title. So uh, And that result at Leeds cost the, the Leeds manager's job as well. So he, he's gone. So they're fluting with relegation, Leeds United. So I think... 
he's all to play for in a premiership, all to play for for the title, all to play for for the top four, and it's all on down the bottom for the relegation as well, isn't it? I think there's Norwich are, are struggling, aren't they? But the you know there's there's quite a cluster of sides, I've said that, that could be involved in that scrap at the end of the season. Yeah, the relegation battle is certainly heating up. Newcastle went to Brentford uh, and won 2-0. Uh, Christian Eriksen uh, made his debut for Brentford after his heart scare. Um, you know, he's, he's back in, in action in the football. Burnley drew 1-1 away at Crystal Palace. That's a, that's a very important point for them. Um, but like I say, anyone could be anyone down that end. Uh, and it's uh, really it's interesting. We talked about Everton losing 1-0 to City and they're getting sucked back into it as well. So it's going to be seriously interesting to see what happens over the next uh, two or three months. Yeah, it certainly is. You know, Burnley, you know, seem to be the draw specialist. They have a lot of draws, don't they? But they got a good result, as I said, against Tottenham in the week. And then to take a point at weekend as well, uh, away from home against a, a Palace side who, uh, who seem to have done really well of recently. They're, they've been one of the form sides, haven't they? So, uh, so yeah, it's hotting up. It really is hotting up the Premiership. It's probably been one of the most entertaining seasons for a long time, hasn't it? You know, there's, there's no real... Sides in the in the league where the season is sort of dead for, and they're just in the mid table. There's, there's something to play for for everybody, more or less everybody at the moment. So uh, it should be an interesting end to the season. Yeah, City have Peterborough away in the FA Cup on Tuesday. You know, it's a big game on Sunday, the Derby, Manchester Derby, Man City uh, home to Manchester United. Uh, crucial game for both. Yeah, it certainly is. And I know I mentioned before about uh, Manchester City to play Liverpool, and that being a vital game. But Manchester's Derby's, uh, you know, sometimes form goes out of the window. So Liverpool will be looking at this game, hoping Manchester United, the old enemy, can do them a big favour. So this will be a, a tough game for Manchester City. You'd say on current form and the way things are going, they did have too much of Manchester United. But um, you know, you know, Derby's are played on emotion, aren't they? Sometimes, and that could be a banana skin for Manchester City. So I expect them to get through in the FA Cup. I think Peterborough will. Uh, We'll come with a bit of ambition, won't they, to try and uh, make an upset. But you'd think City would have too much for that. But the derby is one of those games that could go either way. Yeah, it's going to be super exciting. Obviously, Man City need to keep winning to keep that gap with Liverpool. As soon as they, if they support Liverpool, you know, experienced in this, they've, don't forget they've won the Premier League now, so they know how to win it. Um, so it will be very interesting to see what Pep can do. Uh, obviously, Jurgen Klopp, Liverpool managers, there's rivalry there. Ralph has come into it. Uh, he's new to the uh, to the mix and uh, he will certainly learn uh, what Manchester United, Manchester United Man City derby is all about. Yeah, he certainly will. It's, you know, Manchester City and Manchester United derbies are uh, massive matches, aren't they? Divides the whole city, doesn't it? And uh, there's been some great games over the last few years. You don't tend to get many nil-nil ones, do you? So uh, you'd like to see the big goals in this one. It'd be an exciting one. But yeah, Ralph's going to find out exactly what a Manchester derby is like. It promised to be a, a tremendous atmosphere at the weekend. Yeah, uh, let's talk about uh, Salford City, uh, an impressive impressive 2-1 win away at Swindon this week, Paul. Uh, you know, they're going to be very happy uh, with that performance. Yeah, well, out of all the northwest sides that are in that league, you know, Salford have probably had the best season. I know Rochdale and Oldham are, are both struggling, aren't they? Although Oldham have hit a bit of form since John Sheridan's coming back. But uh, but Salford have picked up. That's a good result away for, you know, against a decent Swindon side. And they're not a million miles away from that playoffs. Uh, I've not seen the table for a bit, but I don't, they can't be now. I'm sure they must be knocking about near there now. So, a bit of consistent form towards the end of the season. I mean, the pitch has been a bit of a contention over the last few weeks. We've had quite a lot of games postponed, haven't they, at Moore Lane? So, uh, They've probably got a few games in hand and they're set on the other. But, uh, but yeah, it promised to be an exciting season for Salford City now. 
Yep. Uh, Liam Shepherd and Ryan Watson, the goal scorers for Salford City away from home as well, which is always impressive. They're 11th in the league in and out. The five points off the playoffs, Paul. Gary Bowyer's men, you know, will be looking, like you said, they've got a lot of game in hand because they've got a few sort of uh, taken off them due to weather and, and stuff like that. So if they can turn them into wins, anything can happen. He certainly can, and, and what you tend to find that there's always a side that seems to come home with a wet sail at the end of the season, isn't it? You know, flying into the playoffs. And it's, sometimes it's that side more often than not that that progresses through to, to Wembley and gets promotion. So because you're hitting it on form, aren't you? You're not just hanging in there. So uh, it could solve, it could be that side. Um, you know, it's important sometimes when games do back up like that, and you've got an awful lot of games to play because games have been postponed. It's difficult managing the squad and things like. That. But Gary Boy's got a decent size squad there. Plenty of options and what have you. So, uh, so yeah, that that could be the the catalyst for it. You know, you've got quite a lot of games coming up. You smash the results off, get a few wins, and you're right in that playoff mix. Then, yeah, they've got one game in hand, Paul. That'll leave them two points behind Swindon. Swindon do have a better goal difference, though. But you know, like you say, if you get momentum going into the uh, going into the end of the season, you're just beating Swindon away, which will be psychological. Uh, anything can happen. He certainly can. As I said, that, that result at Swindon was it was a great result. They've been up there all season, haven't they? So uh, to go away from all to the county ground and get a result, you know that, that that's going to give Salford a whole load of confidence now. So they've got to keep winning at home. I think the home form's been a bit scratchy this season, so they've got to make sure they get those wins at home as well. But no, five points is nothing really. A couple of wins, isn't it? And uh, you're right in there. So yes, you know, hang on to your hats. It's going to be exciting for uh, the Salford supporters. Yeah, they've got Forest Green at home on Saturday. Forest Green league leaders uh, with the 66 points uh, will be a massive test for Gary Bowyer's men. Yeah, Forest Green have been up there all season, haven't they? And, uh, and look pretty good, really. So that's going to be a big test for them. But that's what you want. You want these big tests, don't you? And, uh, you know, if you're going to get promotion, you're going to get into that playoffs. You're not going to be playing Mickey Mouse teams in the playoffs. You're going to be playing sides that have been up there all season. Tough teams. Tough teams to beat over two legs, so you've got to test yourself. So, uh, so yeah, I'm sure I'm sure they'll be heading into that game and get a result against Forest Green. Confidence is going to go through the roof. Yeah. So uh, that's all the football chat. Let's talk rugby league now, Paul. And Sulphur Red Devils uh, travelled to Hull FC on Saturday and suffered their first defeat at the so at the Super League in 2022. They went down 48 points to 16. Um, talk us a bit, Paul. What went wrong? Uh, what went right really nothing seemed to go right I mean the start of the game we rattled hold of the doors they made a mistake in their own half and it looked like all we had to do was score I think if we had scored a try there with the doors that could have been a completely different game we didn't get the try uh, Shane Wright got his head taken off we didn't get a penalty for that and there was a few iffy calls there earlier on I thought but we didn't get and Hull come into the game and, and scored a couple of tries and we made a lot of mistakes you know knock-ons and individual errors and before you know it, you're 20 points to nil down away from home, and we never really recovered from that. We we missed far too many tackles. I think Jake Connor was excellent for Hull. You know, he's a real maverick. You know, he gives the verbals out, gives as good as he gets sometimes. But he's a clever player, and he could have played in a dinner suit. We never laid a glove on him. He was like an elusive boxer. He just sort of kept us at arm's length, swatted us off with one hand, and he was getting the ball out with the other hand. So he was really hard to deal with. I think without being disrespectful to Mark Sneed. 
I think the occasion got to Mark's need a little bit. He looked rattled. I mean, we were very, very composed when we played Castleford and Toulouse. That composure seemed to go out of the window at Hull. We were all at sixes and sevens and, you know, Mark got um, sin-binned and when he was in the sin-bin, they scored three tries well, and, and, and put the game to bed, didn't they? So, it was just a game where nothing went right. Everything we tried, you know, like nice moves, they didn't come off, did they, at all for us and Hull were the better side. I think Hull were better in every department and deserved the two points. Is, is that a call for Paul Rowley's name because obviously two wins from two going into this game people were confident that they'd go to Hull and get a result and to get um, defeated by such a margin um, does that open everyone's eyes a little bit? Yeah I think so I think perhaps it brings the players back down to earth a little bit perhaps they were starting to believe you know, their own hype after two wins. And sometimes you can do, you can be a bit overconfident, can't you? Perhaps they underestimated Hull a little bit, I'm not too sure. But, you know, Luke Gale was missing for Hull. He was a big hole out of their side. Ben McNamara came in, I thought they did well for them. And uh, Josh Reynolds had a good game at, at half-back as well. They bossed the game, they did everything right, Hull. Um, and, you know, you go away from home some of these sides in, in Super League. And they're tough, you know. Super League's a very, very tough league, isn't it? There's not a lot between all the sides. But, you know, you've got Saints and Warrington and, and some of the top sides. But over the net, around that middle area, everybody's, you know, much of a muchness, really, and, uh, and quite competitive. So, you know, if you're not switched on, you make mistakes like that, it's easy to unravel pretty quickly. And I thought we did unravel pretty quickly. And, you know, what once that momentum's against you, you're chasing the game. And uh, I, I think we, we tried to score every time we had the ball at the doors in that game and, and perhaps panicked a little bit. As I said before, composure is a big thing in rugby league and we seem to lack that on uh, on Saturday at home. And um, and they, they just tore us apart. I think their forward pack played really well. And um, it's just one of those days where nothing goes right. Yeah. Um, the ladies' team were also in action this weekend. Paul, Caddy's Ed Rhinos, uh, they faced Wigan Warriors uh, and went down 18 points to 12. Wigan are a top Super League uh, club in the ladies' game, and the Salford ladies did put a massive effort in uh, and just went down to defeat. I think that was a, a tremendous performance. Um, you know, we had a good, a good win against Swinton, massive step up, no disrespect to Swinton, but this was a big step up to play uh, an established Super League, uh, women's Super League club in, in Wigan. Um, I must admit, I didn't see us doing as well as we did, really, to be honest. I'm not saying I doubt the ladies, but I thought it might be a, a bit of a really tough game for them. But I thought they gave an absolute fantastic account of themselves. And it just shows you the potential there with that side. Um, they, they're going to be in the, the championship next season, I think, aren't they? So they're building for that now with these, these friendly games. But the future looks absolutely fantastic. They've got a really good squad there. And um, just shows you the talent they've got there. Coaching staff are working wonders. So, uh, so yeah, that that'll be even though they've lost the game, I think it'll be a great confidence boost coming up. Uh, you know, with, with another fixture, I think next Sunday they've got, haven't they? So, uh, carries that again. So, that's going to be another big game for them now to uh, to to attack. So, uh, so yeah, great effort against Wigan. Yeah, they did have a game called off. Was it last week during the storm? Do you, do you were due to play Lee Minor Rainers, but because of all the rain, Caddyshead's pitch wasn't wasn't playable. But like you say, they've come up against Wigan, who are a Super League side, uh, and gave a massive effort. Try scorers were Laura Ellison, Tamsim Corcoran, uh, and two goals from Demi Jones uh, weren't enough for, for the for the Red Devils. Uh, but hopefully they can, they can step up in the next game uh, next week, Paul. And, that, and that's uh, like you said, it's important, it's exciting that you know when the community now uh, and the ladies who, who can you know want to get involved in rugby league have these ladies to look up to uh, and want to uh, you know emulate. Certainly, and I mean if you go back a couple of years, this was probably just a, 
a dream really and a vision for the future and now it's become a reality and uh, you know the, the ladies are up there playing against the best you know playing against Wigan and just coming up short so I think that's, that's amazing it's an amazing sort of shot in the arm for the club um, the, the ladies just deserve all the praise in the world as do the coaching staff as do people in charge at Salford for, 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 for getting this off the ground and um, I can only wish them every success in the future I think the, the, you know next season going to be great when they've got you know it's just friendlies at the moment I say just friendlies but this is getting given them the experience I mean they only played the first game a few weeks ago against Swinton so that's the second game under the belt and they're only going to get better and better so uh, so yeah best luck to them next weekend and let's hope we can get a result next weekend but fantastic effort that against Wigan it really was yeah, don't forget that the Salford Devils v Leeds Rhinos game on the 18th of March is a building for the future um, process where schools in the local area can uh, apply for tickets and bring their students to the game. You're hoping that obviously the t- the schools in the area back it, get behind it and bring the next uh, generation to the match. Yeah, certainly. And what a game to come to as well, Salford against Leeds. It's always a, a good fixture, that. And uh... It's uh, it's going to be an excellent game that one, and I'm sure the the, the the kids will all enjoy that, and they want to come back for more. They'll be they'll be eagerly asking the parents to take them to the next fixture, which is what we want. We want the, the children to come there, the the people of the future, and the future of the club. So uh, so yeah, let's hope all the schools get involved in that. And uh, and as you said before, we're becoming a community club now with everything what's going on with the ladies team and and things like that, and everything that's going on in the community with with, with you know the. the sort of local junior sides as well so it's, it's looking good it really has been a good story this season everything that's been going off the field yeah talk about next game is Huddersfield away uh, back into a confrontation with ex-farmer um, coach Ian Watson um, obviously last season we went to Huddersfield and won um, so um, like if when you uh, sort of leave a partner a partner leaves you are we over Ian Watson now? Yeah, I am. <laughs> we've, had, we've, had, we've had two coaches since him, haven't we? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that's, that, that's gone now. I mean, some people might still have a bit of a grudge against Ian Watson. I certainly haven't. I think uh, wish him all the best at Huddersfield. And, you know, he's got some ex-offer players there, hasn't he? Two with Oliver has gone there. And you've got Josh Jones in that side, Luke Yates. Um, the other guy, T.O. Fires, who's done sensational create Saints. He's gone to Huddersfield. Now they've got some cracking young players in that side as well. So, yeah. I hope they do. They do well unless unless they play in us. So yeah, of course there'll be a bit of spice on that. They, they always will, and, and and you want that, don't you, in rugby league? I think last season the, the match there was a, a tremendous fixture, nine points to eight, a thrilling match, and the game at Salford was as well. I remember uh, being with you in the press box. I was like a cat on a bricks pacing up and down in that game. <laughs> it, was, it was fantastic atmosphere. So so yeah, I think that always adds a bit of spice. You know, the ex-Salford contingent, and, uh, and yeah, I'm looking forward to this game. It's going to be another tough test, though, Rob. You know, Huddersfield are a good side. They seem well drilled this season me and you were talking to Trevor Hunt weren't we at the, the match on uh, the weekend the whole game he, he did the commentary for Huddersfield against Wigan um, the week before and he was telling us how well well Huddersfield played in that game so uh, they're not going to be any mugs they've had two good wins themselves and uh, put up a good fight against Wigan so this is going to be a tough fixture you know we're going to their backyard as well but we haven't lost there since 2013 we've had a really good run there haven't we so uh, you know we seem to have a good record against Huddersfield so I can't wait for it it's always a great away trip and it's not far down the M62 either so looking forward to Sunday yeah, it's going to be great. Big thanks for tuning in to this week's Sport Zone on Salford City Radio. I'm Rob Parkinson, and we're talking more Salford Sport with you next week, every Tuesday, every Thursday, and we'll see you soon for more Salford Sport in chat.